Well, good morning. Let me kind of get myself set here. This is my first time to preach this morning with you all. I'm excited to be here. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm the associate pastor. Uh, I haven't had a chance to meet everybody, especially in a church this size. You never, you never quite know. Um, but that's my heart. I, I love people, and uh, this is a great opportunity. It also is an opportunity for you. Um, this morning is a unique opportunity to hear a little bit about me and my story. I promise I want to keep our time focused on the text, uh, on the psalm that we're going to be covering. But um, you're going to hear a lot about my story because Psalm 40 really covers a lot of what I've been going through the past oh, six months. And uh, it was a unique transition, not one that I expected moving here to Waco. But anyways, I want you to know it's an opportunity, uh, I think, for both of us. I think much of what I have to say this morning is going to resonate with you, because much of my story has to do with waiting, waiting on the Lord and trusting Him. You see, in life we do a lot of waiting. Multiple times a day, we wait. Let's take a look at this slide here, okay? So, if you're a stoplight, no one loves to wait at stoplights. I've seen you run them, okay? I've seen you turn right, uh... Without breaking, okay? Uh, also, up top, no one loves to wait in the grocery store line. Isn't it amazing to go to Walmart at 10 o'clock at night? Everyone's still at Walmart, and there's still only two lines, and you're waiting. Waiting, waiting. No one loves to wait. Take a look at Chick-fil-A there. Don't go at 12 o'clock. So you try to go earlier. You go later. You're still waiting. In fact, they have double drive throughs now. Um, they have a pretty cool system, by the way. And then also, computers. Oh my goodness gracious, if you have a PC, waiting for it to turn on. Now, if you have a Mac, that's a whole other story, okay? I converted about two years ago, and I'll never go back. But I'll tell you, waiting for the internet. We can all agree, there's something about waiting for the internet. I don't care if you have a Mac or a PC. Uh, We don't love to wait, do we? If you're in my family, my wife Amber... She waits on me to get home to help the kids. She's ready. My kids, they wait for me to prove their apps. I look at every single app that comes to their iPads. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Come on, Dad. Okay? Minutes later, no lie, minutes later, they're moaning because they're waiting for the app to load. Okay? My kids don't like to wait. The truth is, some of you, including myself, have issues that are more serious. You're waiting for a loved one to call you back. You're waiting for a job offer or a promotion. Or you're waiting for test results from the doctor. You know, some of our temporary, some of our waiting is temporary. It's quite funny to think about how frustrated we get in the grand scheme of life. But yet others have some pretty serious issues. This consumes our thoughts, consumes our prayer life. You see, waiting is not innate in us. We are impatient people trying to be patient, wishing if the world would go our way, we would be better off. This morning, I want to help you from personal experience to learn to worship God in the waiting of life. Before I get to my story, I want to get to today's passage. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to it. If you have your phone, tablet, turn to it. We're going to look at Psalm 40. Um, At first, I was going to cover the first five verses and then... I'm an overachiever, so I said, let's just go for the whole book. All right, so 
You know, as you look at this psalm, I'll give you time to turn there. This is a psalm of David. You can see that in the superscript. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. And keep in mind, the book of Psalms was originally a book of praises. Sometimes we forget that. It's used by God's people in worship settings, just like ours. These psalms were actually songs meant to be sung, much the way we sing our hymns and our worship song today. However, today we have the opportunity to read them in Scripture, to know truth. Truth about God, truth about us. These psalms capture our hearts, and hopefully they also capture our thanksgiving. So let's, uh, let me read as we fix our eyes and our heart on God's Word. Psalm 40. I'm going to read the first ten verses. We're going to do a little bit of an overview here. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them that they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As we look at these ten verses, we see here that this is a psalm of thanksgiving. This portion is a psalm of thanksgiving. We can see that David was in a very difficult situation, even in verse 2. And he said that God drew him out of a pit of destruction out of a miry bog, and he set his feet on a rock, making his steps secure. And he said, I will sing a new song. He was a thankful man. Let's keep reading and seeing what 11 through 17, how it goes. Verse 11, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me up. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those put to shame and disappointed all together who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurts. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But... May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help, my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. You know, as I first read this, it confused me a little bit. I couldn't understand how David in the first ten verses, was thanking God for delivering him. He goes on to say, I want to praise you 
I want to follow you. I want to tell everyone about you. Then in the next seven verses, I need, I need you to deliver me again. It's all through this pattern. I praise you. I want to follow you. I want to tell everybody about you. Wait a minute. I need you again. And I thought to myself, self, this pattern sounds all too familiar. It sounds a lot like me. A lot like my life. Some days are met with thanksgiving, and other days are just met with my desperate cry for God to show up. And to be fair, I can't say for sure if this is exactly what David had in mind. 11 through 17 could merely be uh, the specific instance in which God uh, rescued him that we see there in verse, uh, there in the first verses of the psalm. But David knew what it was like to be in difficult circumstances. So let's take a look at David's circumstances, verses 11 through 15. Uh, You can turn to it. Um, It is important to note that these verses are in present tense. He says, I cannot see. You see that? Verse 12. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. Not, I could not see. It is a present tense crying out to God. I cannot see. My sins are debilitating. See the difference? When writing this portion of recalling these events in his life, David was going through some difficult circumstances. He brought some of these on himself. Okay, so you can see verses 11 and 12. It's clear. Number 11, it's clear that he wants his life to be preserved. Number 12, we read about his iniquities. He's very in touch with his sin and his sinful nature. He said, there are so many, there are too many to count. But he goes on into 14 and 15. And we read about his circumstances out of his control. There are people who want to kill him. There are people who want to hurt him. Also, since he was the king of Israel, he bore the weightiness of leadership. He was responsible for leading the country. This section, too, can include seeking uh, those seeking to overtake the country, the enemies that were upon them. And this was his cry. You know, one of the commentators also mentioned that if you look back in verses 2 that I mentioned to you before, pulling them up out of this miry bog, that it's possible that the word pit in the Hebrew form is, is this word for grave. It felt like he was in a grave, and it could be alluding to the fact that he had a serious health issue that God delivered him from. Regardless of the situation, he was a desperate man. See, sometimes we read through Scripture way too fast to feel the weightiness of the author. When was the last time you felt the weightiness of your sin? When was the last time you had people chasing you, looking to hunt you down, looking to take your life, not knowing if today would be your last? Can you hear David's cry? Can you feel the weightiness of his situation? Can you relate? You see, our circumstances are not unlike David's. I know in a congregation this size, um, you're dealing with similar weighty issues. If you have it, you will. If you haven't today, you might have. And some of you walked in this morning because I've done it myself. We walk in looking for hope. Okay, I'll go to church today. It's not a good day. Waiting feels impossible. Waiting patiently. Some of you have serious illnesses, strained relationships, severe addictions. 
and so many more. But I want you to know you're in good company. As I mentioned to you earlier, you have a unique opportunity to hear a little bit about my story and circumstances I'm going through. Some circumstances that are outside my control. Happy to share with you because this is real life. Hopeful God might use my story for His glory and your good. And as you leave this morning, I truly want you to be encouraged. I want you to be thankful. I want you to be full of hope and full of praise. You see, at 16 years old, I was diagnosed with a simple urinary tract defect. Something that an overnight procedure could fix. That simple. Isn't that amazing? Yet they didn't figure it out until I was 16. At that time, my kidneys were shot. Both of them, I was a soccer player. I was in the ER. And they said, hey, something's up. You only have 70% of your kidney function left. Being a naive high school student, it's like, okay, I've got 30, right? 19, after my freshman year in college, I had a kidney transplant. My dad was the one who donated. I'm certainly thankful to him. So many people said, you're, you ta- you're, you're too young for this. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times I heard that. Then after a bumpy summer, things kind of evened out and had a really, really healthy decade, relatively speaking, with a new kidney. And then at age 30, in case you're wondering how old I am, that was nine years ago. Uh, at age 30, with a wife and an infant, the doctors found cancer on the transplanted kidney. This is a special case, they said. Not too many documented cases of, of cancer on transplants. No one wants to be special in the world of science. That was me. After the procedure in 2007, they removed the, the cancer. It's pretty amazing. Usually when they do partial nephrectomies, they'll clamp it. The kidney turns white because it's a vascular organ. They cut it off. They unclamp and it blood flows back in and it works. He said, we can't clamp it because you only got one kidney. Can you imagine what going into that surgery was like? You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's see what happens. And uh, didn't clamp it. Cut it off. Was worried that it had spread. It spread. No loss of kidney function. 2007. Pretty amazing. Cancer is one of those words no one wants to hear. But after that surgery, I was back on the road to recovery. Uh, this time it was a little different. The battle was on. You see, when cancer has been present in your body, even if it's out, it tends to take control of your mind. I remember a year later, finding out after we were going to have twins, I was driving, I was in Dallas, and I was going over this overpass, and I was looking over, and all of a sudden there was a jolt of anxiety hit me. No, not because we were having twins, but ultimately because I didn't know. I mean, I really felt like I was dying. I've never had one of those experiences, but it's quite odd. Caught my breath, drove home, why does it ghost? I was like, Amber, something's way off. Um, the truth is that it was my first ever panic attack. I had suppressed all these fears that cancers were in my body, it was grown, it was going everywhere. So the graceful doctors continued to do scans. But the cancer just didn't show up. So every six months, scan after scan, scan after scan, I began to trust a little bit more that I was going to be okay. At least no imminent danger. The only time I worried was the week in between the scan and the follow-up appointment. So if you've been in my shoes, you know what that's like. You get further away from the surgery, you tell you're going to be okay. Then you have your scan. You're like, uh-oh, what are they going to find? For a week, you really are anxious. And you go, they say thumbs up. You're like, okay, whew. Another three months, another six months, maybe another year. Then we moved here. 
uh, looking to establish with a team of doctors, my primary care physician ordered an MRI on the kidney. Again, it's not a full kidney, partial kidney, it's still functioning great, a couple spots, but they were just simple or complex, but not cancer. And yet as I walked into that room, the doctor seemed unsettled. In fact, before he walked in on a sheet of paper in pink, I'll never forget it, it said RT for right malignancy. And I was like, that's strange. And I thought to myself, oh, he must be just talking about the, the cancer that I did have. He walked in. He was a bit dazed, asking a lot of questions. I, being the very well-informed patient that I tend to pride myself a little too much in, began to spout out my medical jargon, catching him up on all the details. And then when that was done, he said, but there's a spot that we think is cancer. Wow. That was a punch to the gut. I remember calling Amber leaving. She's telling me about her day. How'd it go? How do you tell your wife? I don't know. They think the cancer has come back. One week later, Amber and I found ourselves with Scott and White and Dimple. Um, we were talking with a kidney transplant surgeon, and uh, she gave a suggested course of action. Let's remove this kidney. Let's put you on dialysis, meaning no kidney in the body whatsoever, and let's retransplant. He says, is it going to work? I don't know. He said, well, is, is, did cancer spread? We don't know. So the next month was marked with many appointments, but more importantly, it was marked with waiting. Waiting on physicians to confer with the medical community for this special case. Then, once the course was set, we waited for the first surgery. And finally, when it arrived, March 24th, we were ready to go. And I can't tell you how excruciating the first month was, or those two months, February and March. I tried to rehearse scripture, but my mind kept thinking about unhelpful things, worst case scenarios. I wanted to control the situation. You see, if you've never personally been diagnosed with cancer, it's difficult to help you to understand the mental battle and emotional battle it is for the patient and for the family. Yes, cancer is physical and the treatments can be difficult, but the unknown waiting, the hoping the surgery works, the small pains here and there that you're hoping aren't cancer spreading is so overwhelming. And this is my new normal. I had to find ways to respond to my circumstance. And this psalm really was my source of encouragement. So as we go through this psalm, I want to kind of give you some steps, regardless of your circumstance, whether it's cancer or broken relationships or things that just feel so weighty, things that might seem so simple, yet we don't do. I want to give us somewhat of a course of action to take based on this psalm. I'll come back to my story here a little bit. So turn to verse 4. How do we respond to these circumstances in prayer? Verse 4 reads this, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. See, this is a really important thing that David did right here. During these times, a lot of these psalms and the poetries were very similar in language. You can go back and you can read them. But this one, this one said, Blessed, be, blessed is the man who turns to who? The Lord, capital L-O-R-D. The unique name given to our God, and at that time, Israelites' God, his name is Yahweh. He said, blessed be the man who puts his trust in him and him alone. This is particularly noteworthy, because many times we don't do that. If I would say, turn to God, sometimes it's almost like, oh yeah, that's something I should do. I want to talk about why that's difficult for us to turn to God. 
the next kind of line here is, what is true of us? What's true of us is we live in a fallen world. Okay, if you go back to Genesis 1, 26, 27, it says that God created male and female in His image and His likeness. At the end of the sixth day, He looked back over all He created, and He said, this is very good. Adam walked with God. He gave Adam Eve. And then Genesis 3, Adam and Eve come to this tree. And as we know, most of us know the story goes, Eve ate of the fruit, and she gave it to Adam, and he ate. Genesis 2.17 says, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one in which they were not to eat, he said, You shall not eat of the fruit. For the day that you eat, you will surely die. So what happened in that moment, and it goes on in Genesis 3.6, so when the woman saw the tree, well, it goes on to say that she ate and he ate. This event's called the fall, mankind, disobedience. So what happened in that moment? They were removed from the garden. In some ways, their actions removed themselves, separating themselves, which we call death, from God. They were now going to experience a physical death. They were never meant or intended to or designed to. But they did because of their disobedience. Separated from God, they experienced death. Yes, God in His knowledge knew that it would happen, but His desire is for us to be with Him. But not only a physical death, a spiritual one as well. You see, their act of disobedience led to spiritual death, this separation from God. And it is not, because even in that moment they didn't turn to Him, it's not in their nature to turn to, it's not in our nature now, having received kind of this sinful nature to turn to God. We need Him to do something for us. It's important to remember that we too are in a fallen world and live, um, that we live in a fallen world. We are waiting for Jesus to return. The truth is, sometimes we act like we live in heaven. But we live in a fallen world. There's going to be cancer. There's going to be broken, broken relationships. There's going to be limited resources. There are going to be addictive tendencies. And the reason we trace back to the garden, because we've inherited their sinful nature, it was not natural for us to turn to God. Yet David calls us to. You know, keep in mind that turning to God, if you want to be blessed, I'd say turn to Him. But we also need to manage our expectations. This is what really helped me. I turn to God, even when they say you have cancer and fat. But it doesn't mean that he's going to heal me of cancer. Okay, Jesus healed Lazarus. He dies. Jesus shows up, raises him from the dead, restores his life. Lazarus still dies, right? Lazarus lives in a fallen world. We all live in a fallen world. In fact, what I would say is when you're diagnosed with something, you're probably living more real than you've ever lived. What you're grieving is ultimately the fact that you are no longer invincible. And for me... It's taken me a long time since 19, since that first transplant, to realize is there is grace in my circumstance. And the grace is the fact that I actually live with more of a sense of reality now than I ever did then. When I know that I live in a fallen world, I have to turn to God. There's no one else to turn to. So let's talk about what is true of God. David talked about it in verses 10, 2 and verses 10. So what is true of God? Well, what's true of God is He rescued David. Out of this pit that he talked about. He set him up on a rock, a new path for his life. He did something for David that David couldn't do for himself. And then in verse 10, David attributes words like faithful, loving, 
and Savior to his God. He looked at him as his deliverer. So let me share something with you. You don't get anything out of this message other than this. Tune into this. And the same should be said of us as well. God is our deliverer, and God offers to rescue us if you've never trusted in Jesus. God did not leave us alone to figure out how to make right from the wrong that happened in the garden that's been passed down to us. No, God the Father sent His Son to live a perfect life, to die a horrible death so that you and I don't have to. Jesus took the punishment we deserve so that when we physically die, we will eternally be with God. By trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins, your life will be restored spiritually here on earth. In eternity, you'll be with Him in heaven. You know, there are attributes that really helped me during my cancer surgeries is God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, God is all good. And you know what? God's really the one who's our healer. Sometimes we look far too much to science. Science is amazing. Remember one of my surgeons said, she said, I merely walk. She's an amazing, amazing surgeon. She said, I merely stand on the soldiers of, of giants. You probably have heard that before. Grant might even say that with theologians. But God is the one. So it's an amazing position. But God is the one who's ultimately our healer. Let's not forget that. And after we look at what is true of us and true of God, after we turn to God, step one, which may not be innate, I encourage you to do it. Number two, verse five, give thanks for blessings. Let me read it. You've multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there are more than can be told. Didn't think I was going to tell the story, but a quick story. My kids come to the house all the time. Dad, 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 I want this, I want that. And here's what I say. Real quick, will you go to your room? Why, dad? Because I want you to see in your room everything you have ever received from Christmas and birthdays. Okay? I just want you to go take an account and then come back and tell me if you want more stuff. Oh, dad. Are we not like our kids? I want more, I want more, I want more. You know what's healthy sometimes is to pause, to stop, to look at your life, at the immeasurable goodness of God. Not only has given us His Son, everything you value that is good has come from your Father. Your relationships, even your personality and, and abilities, your spiritual blessings, everything you have is from God. And when we take inventory like that, and we truly realize that we're blessed. We will not shake our fist at God when He does not answer our prayer today for what we demand we need. Because I'll tell you what, God has answered innumerable prayers for me. And I can trust Him today because of what He's done in the past. Again, with the right expectation in a fallen world. Let's go to the next one. So after we've turned to Him, after we've taken account of our blessings, I would challenge you to lift up your requests specifically. I'll kind of fast forward through. Well, first of all, David cried out, and David was a man's man. So men, if you don't cry, it's your pride. I'll just say it. There are times that we're going to cry because you're made human. Jesus wept. 
you're facing things in life, don't be prideful. There's times I've had to cry for my wife because I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. I don't know what a year's going to look like. But I'll tell you what, we go to God and cry out. It is amazing. I'm going to have to fast, fast forward through my uh, story here. But let me tell you, after the first surgery was completed, they said that the cancer had not spread. I was like, praise the Lord. And then I didn't realize, I'd underestimated what three weeks of dialysis without a kidney in my body would be like. I mean, there were times I were inverted with really low blood pressures, 15 pounds underweight, just wondering if I was going to get through four hours of treatment. But God is good. And so many people were with me. It was pretty amazing. You guys are so gracious. I would say at least 20 people offered me the 15 pounds. I'm 50 pounds underweight. You want to give me your 15 pounds? I said, look, I cannot take it. I, mean, I don't want to show favoritism here. Um, April 18th, I had a kidney transplant. My sister gave me her transplant, her kidney. Again, it's amazing to have two family members, and I have more who are willing to give me kidneys. So I keep, keep very close relationships with my family. But a month later, my kidney function slowed down. Fluid was backing up. Went to the hospital. Five days later, came out. Praise God. Beginning of June, I had rejection. My kidney started to reject. That just, you know, body's fighting it. It doesn't see it as mine. It sees it as something else it wants to get rid of. I went through 10 days of really aggressive treatment. And one night, I cried out to God. Truly. Uh, I don't know. I, I, couldn't, I didn't even have tears for this kind of pain. I just know that I was basically laying in bed, and uh, I, was, I was experiencing an infection, and my body started itching at 10 o'clock. By 2 a.m., it was just itching all over, and that's a gross picture. But it was just itching, and um, the, the nurse came in, she was like, would you like some cold cloths? And I was like, anything. Punch me in the face, whatever it takes. <laughs> just take away the pain. She brought in cold cloths. Fifteen minutes later, I buzzed her. She's like, what do you need? I was like, I'm cold now. Just take, take those away. Nine, nine o'clock the next morning. Didn't sleep at all. Nine o'clock the next morning, doctors come around for their rounds. Um, and they just, wow, we've never seen that before. And it's like, that's not what I wanted to hear. Could you just give me anything? No, we have to wait for your next treatment at, at 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock, they gave me this drug that knocked me out. That was God's answer. Timing wasn't perfect in my mind, but he knocked me out. And I slept, and by God's grace, it went away. You see, it's okay to cry out to God. Um, we're human. But lastly, we need to wait patiently on God. We go through a lot of things. And we shake our fist at Him. Or just truly, we're ready. We're ready for you to answer this prayer, God. But as David, verse 1, I mean, it's so overlooked in the psalm, I waited patiently for the Lord. Might we wait patiently on His timing, trusting God knows best to answer our prayers. And this is certainly easier said than done. So let's go back. We've talked about turning to God. We've talked about giving thanks. We've talked about oh, praying specifically. I pray specifically because it's amazing when you pray specifically, know how blessed you are. God answers so many prayers in any given week. And lastly, I encourage you to just wait patiently. Psalm 46.10, just a little bit later on. The book of uh, Psalms says, this is the hardest one, but um, my mind's gone blank. I, think, I know that half of y'all are reciting in your mind right now. Psalm 46, be still, know that I'm God. 
God, but I want to do something. No, I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. So after you've done all the waiting, you're waiting patiently. There are three things I want to encourage you to do. To worship God with your life. To worship God with your witness. And to worship God with your soul. In verse 8, David says, keep in mind, this is after he delivered him. We typically say this, asking to be delivered. God, if you'll do this, I'll do anything. He said it afterward. Verse 8. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. You ever said that? God, you have all of me now. I'll do anything for you because now I have a right understanding of myself and a right understanding of you. I encourage you to worship God with your life. Verse 9. David goes on to say, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great compers, uh, congregation. I haven't restrained my lips. Verse 10, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. It's amazing when you truly believe God has delivered you, how open you will be to share with others. And God is greatly glorified when we are open to telling of His goodness to other people. Because maybe, just maybe, you've been through that because someone else needed that kind of confidence in God. And I've told many people, when you go to the hospital, be the light. Yeah, I don't, I don't, want, the, I don't want the hospital in their mission field. That's okay. You be the light. Too many people in the hospital don't have the hope we have. We be the light. That's what we ought to do. Regardless of circumstance, worship God with your witness and worship God with your soul. We sing these songs. And you know, it's so easy on a Sunday morning, depending on what's on your mind or your heart, to come in here and not quite know the words that are going through your mouth. Yet if we would respond with our soul, the praises, Sunday morning, the radio, respond to God in worship. David says it in verse 3, you put a new song in my mouth, <clears throat> a song to praise our God. So where am I at right now? Um, I'm in pretty good shape, I think. But I will worship Him with my life, my witness, and my soul. I quite honestly don't know what's going to happen. I'm hopeful. Um, I've got this virus that's kind of unknown. Yet, I ran three miles twice last week. I have a summer cold this week. It's a roller coaster ride. But today, I have today. I have you. Um, that's what every day ought to be like. That's why this psalm is so beautiful. Some days we give thanks. Some days we cry out. Um, but I'm very hopeful that this virus, that they can kind of kick this virus, change my meds, because my meds are not fighting the virus, because it doesn't need to fight the kidney, hence the battle. Um, but I'm hopeful. We can kind of get cruise control with this kidney. We won't have to keep talking about Ryan's kidney transplant. But as we conclude today, I want to focus on this great band. No, it's not a Christian band. It's you too. It's Bono in the middle. If you've never heard of them, you think I'm committing heresy right now. 1983, they finished an album called War. They had to lay down a last track to finish this up so that they can basically promote their new record. The very last track with 40 minutes left, sitting here 40 40 minutes left, for some reason Bono with the glasses turned to, turned to Psalm 40. What did he do? He looked at these first verses. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song on my mouth. He said, I will sing, sing a new song. They went back to 
to Psalm 6, and they took a portion of Psalm 6. I think they captured the, the essence of Psalm 40. And he said, how long? How long to sing this song? How long to sing this song? I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. How long? At the end of almost every concert, with hundreds of concerts, the whole concert is singing this song. They don't even know they're singing Scripture. How long, O Lord, to sing this song? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a good God. It's who you are. Lord, that our words might capture our heart for you. Father, may we truly worship you in the waiting of life. If we've never done it, may we place our full trust in you as our Lord and Savior. If we've never done it, may we delight to do your will like never before. If we've never done it, may we truly delight to be a witness in a world who does not know you. And Lord, may we delight to worship you with our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.